Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host, who is always down for adding special effects like exploding socks, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I am doing so great, Andy. I I don't know that I've ever been this excited to talk about a movie, except the other times that we do Muppet movies. Uh, <laughs> you I, do I lo- love the Muppets. I mean, this movie in particular, Betsy and I took our wedding vows from it. it it's a Aww. super important movie to us. So I love that. Yeah. I uh, love that. So, so. today we're t- we are talking about The Muppets Take Manhattan from 1984. Yes. Gosh, can you believe it was 1984 when this movie came out? Oh, oh please don't start an existential crisis. <laughs> I... I can't, I, I can't handle it. This movie came out yesterday, Andy, and we're breaking the rules by covering it. That's, that there. is my official stance. I love it. I will accept that. Well, some key facts to get this party started. The Muppets Take Manhattan is the third film release for The Muppets, and the film was released by TriStar Pictures. So because TriStar released the movies and not the British company ITC that The Muppets have been working with up until this time... This is a movie that is not owned by the Walt Disney Company. So there are only three movies in the Muppet franchise that Disney does not own. So they don't own the Muppets Take Manhattan. They don't own Muppets from Space. uh, They don't own Kermit's Swamp Years. And all of those are owned by Sony Pictures. So if you want to see the Muppets Take Manhattan, you're going to look on Disney Plus. It's not there. But it's well worth your time to hunt it down. We found it on Hulu. Yeah, that's where I watched it. Although I could have just watched the DVD that came in a bowl of Cheerios one one magical day as a child. Uh, That is a true story. Mm. That is is magic. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Like other films in the Muppet franchise, this movie is replete with cameo appearances from folks like Art Carney, Linda Lavin, Dabney Coleman, Gregory Hines. Uh, Liza Minnelli, Joan Rivers, Brooke Shields, Elliot Gould, and even uh, New York Mayor Ed Koch. Uh, And of course, my favorite cameos, which are the gang from Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. And if you have a magnifying glass and you look all the way in the back row, you will see Uncle Traveling Matt, the Fraggle, has made his way in his journeys through outer space to attend oh, Kermit and Piggy's wedding. I um, love it. I, I was so excited to find him. Even as a kid, I was like, there he is. It's Uncle Traveling Matt. <laughs> love the Fraggles. Okay. Well, Jim Henson had been quite busy at up to this point directing The Great Muppet Caper and The Dark Crystal. And there was a little bit of even overlap there. So it was decided that Frank Oz would direct this feature. Now, there's an original script, and it's entitled The Muppets, The Legend Continues, and Oz just wasn't a fan of that. And it was written by the same people who wrote The Great Muppet Caper, but it it seemed a little silly, and he really wanted to focus on developing characters and relationships over just jokes and bits. So Oz and takes it a shows. Yeah, and it yeah. it shows. You know, we, I, uh, as much as I love The Great Muppet Caper, I had some complaints about it, and they are all addressed in this movie. Mm-hmm. Relationships are front and center. Plot is secondary. And, right. And that's how it should be, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, in an interview in Smithsonian Magazine in 2018, uh, writer Patrick Sauer posited a Frank Oz theory. 
that more people on Earth have borne witness to Frank Oz's characters, be they puppet or person, than any other artist in recorded human history. And if you take a look at his IMDb page, that might absolutely hold water. Wow. Think about wow. Yoda. We think about, I mean, even movies like um, uh, Bowfinger. I mean, he has a really wide range of, of projects that he's yeah, been prolific, involved with. Yeah, prolific body of work. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So Dave Goles, who who voices Gonzo, described the relationship between Jim Henson and Frank Oz much like Bert and Ernie. Uh, and he says, Jim had a visual sense, Frank a character one. Jim had a lightness, Frank had a seriousness, so they were opposites who complemented each other tremendously. Wild inspiration, silliness, and fun from Jim, and underpinning and depth of storytelling from Frank. I have a fun story about this. It'll it'll be quick. Yes. So yeah. so when they were making Sesame Street, you know, they tried out like different different performers with different characters. And so Jim and Frank knew they were going to do Ernie and Bert and they didn't know which one was going to do which. Um and Jim, you know, started as Ernie and then Frank started as as Bert and then they tried it the other way and they just midway through trying, they just stopped and Jim said it's the other way. It has to be the other way. And Frank said, it has to be the other way. And they just swapped. They were meant to be who they were in that. So, so. so they really are. They really are Bert and Ernie. Oh, um, for sure. So this movie releases in 1984 against uh, other family movies. that, And those family movies are things like Gremlins, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and even Red Dawn. I think of none of those as family movies, but I guess at the time. Uh, at the time, right. So, again, family movies are starting to get, in in this little era, uh, starting to get a PG or even the new PG-13 rating that was introduced that year because of Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. They're like, it's not quite R, but it needs to be more than just PG. So PG-13 came out. Um, Henson really bristles at the notion that a G rating is somehow negative. And he says, I've always felt that people should be able to do a film that works for the whole family, that doesn't have any kind of violence or sex, and it's still very entertaining. Yeah. So that's something that he it continues to push against as the as the market changes, I think. And I think this movie proves his, his thesis. I think he's right. I think mm-hmm. you can do a G-rated movie and have it be amazing. Well, I didn't need to watch does- this with my kids. Yeah, this movie does very well at the box office, and I think it comes in uh, fifth that year. Wow. Uh, behind, and, and in terms of just straight family fare, uh, it comes in a little behind a re-release of Pinocchio, which is re-released in theaters that year. Uh, but, you know, still a, a good, strong showing. Um, the movie was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song Score but it lost to Prince's Purple Rain, and probably for good reason. You know, I want to rise to the Muppets' defense on this, because because I do. Because I do. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'll just say I know how I'd vote, and it would be a vote made based on my heart, and not necessarily based on the technical requirements that determine the award. And that's, that's how I'll go. Fair enough. Fair and enough. I have I have one fun fact for you, Andy. Oh. So we started college tours this year, and uh-huh. uh, my oldest and I went to Vassar. 
And I said to him, I said, I want to be a good dad here. I know I know that I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to be that parent on the college tour who's asking a million questions. So let, let me make a deal with you right now. I am not going to say anything unless there's a question that you want me to ask. You can pull me aside and ha tell me to ask something, but otherwise I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And I really thought, Andy, <laughs> I really thought that that was the cool thing to do. Uh -huh. And so we're touring Vassar College and our guide says, so I need to stop you right now because I have to ask you a question. And the answer here is important. Does anybody here love the Muppets and want to hear a story about the Muppets? <laughs> That's so loaded. And I was doing so well. <laughs> You're doing a piggy moment. You're I, having a piggy I, moment. I, I turned to Xander and he, he gave me a look that was like, it's okay. I forgive you. And I like raised my hand. Like, so so the 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 building we were passing is the building where uh the Muppets perform Manhattan Mat Melodies. It's the shot at, at quote unquote Danforth College. Right. Um and uh now Head canon in, in my mind, Vassar College was originally an all Muppet college, but in 1969 they opened up their doors to allow <laughs> to allow humans to attend to. And that is that I is that. that is now canon. Okay? Mm -hmm. And canon in their history. That's awesome. I it was a trap story. though, Andy. I was set up. Oh man, total up. trap. Total trap. Uh shall we get into plot? Let's do it. All right. So as always, we start with the Manish Tana, and I just want to say right off the bat, the previous two Muppet movies that we saw have long extended credit sequences uh, where, they're, where they're trying to entertain us and get us to the movie. But something in filmmaking has changed uh, by 1984. This movie starts so fast. Very we start, fast. We start with an overhead of Manhattan. We travel north from Manhattan to, to I guess, uh, Poughkeepsie, uh, to where Danforth College is. We, we zoom down on the buildings of, of Danforth slash Vassar College. Mm -hmm. um, but the music has already started, and we hear we hear Kermit going, right? Like, we hear it coming right, in. Right, right. And two seconds later, they're performing a song. They're on stage singing together again at the mm -hmm. start of this. And I want to I want to say Andy, why do we start here? And I'm I I think it's a great place to start, but why do we start here? Well, I think it's super brilliant. I mean, the together again is a a nod saying, "Hey, this is another Muppet movie and we know it's another Muppet movie and we're all together again and you're here with us." So that's kind of a fun a fun thing. Um we're starting at the end of their college career, which is a new beginning for them, right? Uh, and so I think that's I think that's interesting too, uh, an interesting choice. We get some quick exposition. You know, the gang's in college; they've put on a senior review. They're upset about the thought of leaving one another. And the most important thing we learn is they all look to Kermit for guidance and support, and and almost for him to rubber stamp their dream. If you look th at this movie, as I do as a sequel to the Muppet movie. Mm -hmm. What they're basically saying is we're picking up with the Muppets relationship-wise, not plot-wise, with mm -hmm. where we left at the end of the Muppet movie, which is Kermit had brought together a found family that right. he is he is the 
center of. He is the leader of. He's the leader of the dreamers. And we're starting our movie there. We're starting we're starting with them all gathered together. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of other things I notice about this Manish Tana. Our first shot of Kermit, we are so close up to his face. Mm-hmm. He it, and it and it is a visual way of saying the Muppets are going to be front and center in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that was true of the great Muppet caper. I think we spent well, a lot of time, a lot of time with the human characters, a significantly more time here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's not it's not Kermit in role either. In Great Muppet Caper, Kermit right. was playing Kermit, the reporter. Here, it's really Kermit. We can see him. It's sincere. He's not he's not just playing a role. This is him. Yeah, I I I noticed that too. Like a lot of these close-up shots that I don't think we've seen of the Muppets before. We usually get medium shots where we can get like a couple of Muppets, um, you know, working inside the frame. But in this movie, we're getting a lot of close-ups. We're getting a lot of intimacy. Yes, uh, in ways that we have not had before. They're 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 not afraid to get so close to Kermit. We can see the felt. And even though Correct. we see the felt, we still believe. Absolutely. We still believe. Absolutely. Con- they're like, we're going to start you right off. We're connecting you to Kermit. Kermit's going to look right into your eyes, and you're going to feel a connection with him. Yeah. And uh, it begins with heart. It begins yeah. with heart right from the beginning. And Kermit's not just singing that he's together again with his friends. He's looking at us and mm-hmm. saying, I'm here with you guys now. We're together again. We're together again. Yeah, there's there's also this thing that um, happens, I think, in this movie. And that is that Kermit, we, we're intimately involved with Kermit in ways that we've never been, like, like they're not relying on the gimmicks of the puppetry or the how did they do that, right? Um they're not we're not seeing a big hot air balloon and wondering, well, how in the world no. are they up in the hot air balloon or how in the world are they doing all of this? We're actually seeing them and we're seeing them in a place that we're familiar because most people are familiar with the Muppet show at this point in the 1970s. I mean, that's really what launches these films. And so we see them performing as in a review, like we've seen on The Muppet Show dozens of times. It is their element. It's who they are. It is. And there's and there's also this intimacy at the same time. So forget the how we do the puppetry and how did they pull that off. Although there are some great special effects in this movie. There are. It's just not at the front. It's, it's just not, not at the beginning. It's, it's, it, they're telling us up front, that's not the important stuff. The important stuff is what's going on inside this character's head. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. Oh, I agree. Uh, and so we we see this opening number. Uh, well, it's not an opening number. It's the closing number of <laughs> of Manhattan Melodies. Right. We see right. Kermit give a speech about you know how how hard they've worked to come this far. He may as well be giving a valedictory speech at graduation. It's kind right. of set up in that same way. Mm-hmm. And Andy, I had a little bit of trouble, but delightful trouble. Deciding on what the inciting incident of this movie is. And I think there... Did you also have trouble with it? I did. I did. I think there's an argument to be made. It happens at the three-minute mark. 
But I also think there's an argument to be made that it happens at the 25-minute mark. Mm. Uh, they both feel like inciting incidents to me. Uh, so so I'm going to throw out the first one here, and, and, okay. and maybe you can see other ones. You could make an argument that when random guy in the crowd says, Kermit, next time we'll see you on Broadway, mm-hmm. and the dream is planted, and the gang has a conversation about, yeah, we should go to Broadway, mm-hmm. that, that that is the inciting incident, and there's a good argument for that. It propels them into the new world, into Manhattan. We cross the threshold, as I always reference Wizard of Oz, we cross the threshold of Kansas and end up in Oz right after that decision gets made. Mm-hmm. You could say that's the inciting incident. And I, I don't know that you'd be wrong. Well, I mean, I think it's a it's interesting because it's almost a false inciting incident because there's this, it's like, oh, the Things are going to happen really easily for them. And here's this guy and he wants to do their show on Broadway and it's all coming together. It sounds too good to be true because it is. And I think, um, I think all of that serves as a, a plot driven exposition. Yes. If there's such a thing to an inciting incident where everyone leaves Kermit in New York. That's what I think the real inciting incident is. I am in complete agreement with you. (laughs) No, no. No, I love it. I love that we're agreeing on something. (laughs) It it had to happen, and it had to happen here. (laughs) because because the truth of the matter is there isn't really a sustainable conflict in this movie mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a very clever homage to the original Muppet movie, where, mm-hmm. whereas you remember, by the end of the movie, they get to the producer. The producer doesn't even need to see them perform. He's like, here's your standard rich and famous contract. Right. We're doing that scene again, but we're asking the question, but what if the Muppets aren't immediately successful? What right. if they've they've gathered to get to the dream, but we didn't actually have to see them do the we saw them traveling to take the dream. We taught we saw them taking that risk, but we never saw them actually earn it. Or struggle, right? Or we struggle didn't see to the get struggle. It. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that initial I think that initial scene with, with the evil producer, uh, who turns out to be a con man named Murray, um, you know, uh, is there to say it's not gonna be this easy that time. We yeah. go into the song, You Can't Take No for an Answer, which mm-hmm. is a, not just a great song, but it's a great visual contrast to the song that's being sung, which right. is they are continually being rejected and you see them become more and more depressed as they get mm-hmm. through it. But I think you're right. The actual inciting incident is the other Muppets feel that they've placed too much of a burden on Kermit and that they're going to leave he'll have a better chance of succeeding without them. Right. And I it, mean, and, and it, it is it is a, it, it's so crazy to me because, uh, you know, everyone leaves him and the song. And it's like, and then we have Kermit going up to the Empire State Building. Yeah. And he's got, he's got a choice to make. And, you know, as we're going over the top, it's like, is he going to jump? I mean, there's a moment there oh, where I I'm like, "Oh, I think that," but you're right. I think no, there's, also, there, oh there no, is a, there is a moment where I'm like, "Is he? Is he desperate?" Like, and and thank God, you know, we don't get there. I mean, that doesn't go quite that way, but uh, 
but yeah, it's uh, it's something. And and I, then yeah, go ahead. No, and I love how when he says, "You hear that, New York? I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to bring all my friends back and what right. have you." Right. It's such a raise the stakes moment. It yes. Isn't, it isn't any. It isn't anymore about like selling the show. It's about I'm going to get my family back. And it's how big he, how big this world is, and how small he is. Yeah. And so visually, we get this like he. This the odds are insurmountable, and he's like saying. You hear that, New York? The frog is staying, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, frog, that's pretty big, you know? <laughs> like, you feel the gravity of it. Well, I honestly believe the antagonist of this movie is mm -hmm. New York. It oh, is yeah, the, It yeah. is the world. There is no person who represents the antagonist in this movie. It is a system. It is a system mm -hmm. that doesn't allow the dreamers to try. And that's that's what he has to struggle up against. Mm. You know what else I like in that one little scene? What's up? How they show us, like, in the distance, there's a mysterious figure in shadows who <laughs> seems to be watching Kermit. <laughs> who could it be? Uh, and, and like, it's so clear who it is, but the movie <laughs> pretends that, that they're going to take off that hat, take off those sunglasses, and we're suddenly going to realize that that pig snout actually belongs to Miss Piggy, and we're going to gasp. Right. 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 So fun. So, oh, it's so, so noir. So noir. Yes. So yes. Because of course she didn't really abandon him. Right. Uh, you know, like she, she couldn't. Well, she didn't have enough money to, to take the train where she wanted to, so she had to get off at the next stop. <laughs> I don't, but I don't, I don't really, I don't really think that's the reason. I mean, it, it you know. I know, uh, I know. It's just fun. Miss Piggy could have, as we'll see throughout this movie, Miss Piggy could have found a way to do whatever she wants to do. That's Nothing, right. You don't, you don't want to try to get in Miss Piggy's way. That's right. Uh, so then we move on through rising action and... In the rising action, Kermit tries to make his dream come true. Uh, he continually, uh, and what his his plan basically is, with the help of Jenny's wardrobe assistants, he's going to craft a series of personas to get himself access to the big, uh, big Broadway producers, um, and he has scheme after scheme of attempting of attempting to to get his script there. And it just doesn't feel good to do. Number one, it's not successful. Mm -hmm. But number two, it doesn't feel good. He feels like he's becoming a phony. Mm -hmm. um, and like, he shouldn't have to deceive people into liking his work. And and um, at around this moment, when he, he is deciding, I'm not going to be a phony anymore, uh, he by happenstance, finds that Miss Piggy is still in Manhattan. In fact, she's just been mugged in Central Park. <laughs> she's been spying on him because she's she believes that something may be happening between Kermit and Jenny the waitress. Mm -hmm. um, and they are re after Miss Piggy uh, heroically defeats defeats her mugger. Um, she, she and Kermit reunite. They, uh, once again, as in each of these movies, they have a little bit of a fight and then they reconcile 
and and in the in Great Muppet Caper, they reconcile in a park, and in mm-hmm. the Muppets Take Manhattan, they reconcile in a park in an, an extended dream sequence in which Miss Piggy imagines uh, that they knew each other as babies, which. It has nothing to do with the plot, but I love. It has um, nothing to do with the plot. And, and, and again, it's clearly a kickoff uh, for the animated TV series, which ran for six seasons and kicked off that fall in 1984, um, which, you know. I love the Muppet Babies. I, uh-huh. I have nothing against the Muppet Babies. I will tell you, in my heart, I have always wished that the animated Muppet Baby series was these adorable puppet Muppet babies. Right? I I love these guys. These I I they are so adorable. Absolutely. Uh, in, in, in a way in which I don't think the animation of the original Muppet series was able to capture. It they are well, yeah. they, they are cuter here. Yeah, and I think it's really hard to understate like what a cultural phenomenon the Muppet babies were in 1984. I mean, it was, if you were in in elementary school in the 1980s, a preschooler, like Muppet Babies were, that was where it was at, man. I know. Awesome. So much Muppet Baby lore. I could sing the songs, not just the opening theme song. I can sing songs from episodes like Good Things Happen in the Dark. Um, Like, like I know that. Anyway, but, but yes. A soft launch from Muppet Babies, but I do want to point out this show knows its roots is from the Muppet mm-hmm. Show variety variety uh, show, mm-hmm. and knows that that like we won't be upset to go to a fun little sequence as long as it's legitimately fun and we're gonna come back from it, right? Right. Uh, Kermit might as well have gone gone on stage and said like, right now we're gonna interrupt the plot uh, <laughs> to give you some of the Muppet Babies, yeah. He could have done that, and we would have been fine. (laughs) And in fact, we are fine. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then we get news. There is a producer who wants Mm. to make Manhattan Melodies. A bit of hope. uh, A bit of hope. And there's still some risk taking in it, because that producer is actually the son of a big producer, and he is risking everything on this production. He gets one chance to be a big Broadway producer, this is that chance. He's mm-hmm. going for it. He's going for it with Kermit. Uh, Kermit immediately is like, Piggy, tell everybody you're going to be on Broadway. They all have to come back. The rest of the gang, who, by the way, in various subplots, we have seen doing sketches and what they're up to and what have you. They all come heading back to Manhattan when catastrophe strikes. Yeah. Kermit walks into traffic and is hit by a car and suffers amnesia. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Which I've always thought amnesia to be like a terrible plot device. But for some reason here, it totally works. It and works I think, thematically. I, and I think it's, it, like it works because it's, it's a bit in a way. It does work thematically. And we can talk about that in a minute when we start talking about Kerbit's character. Okay, but we'll it there. But it also... Um, uh, yeah, it, 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 it definitely is an obstacle that, that everybody's going to have to overcome and the gang's going to have to overcome the obstacle this time. It's not Kermit overcoming it. They have to overcome something. So it's a bit of a switch. Yeah. 
Um, what would you, we're heading towards a climax. And as with the inciting incident, I think there's a bunch of places that we could point to as the climax here, depending mm-hmm. on, on where you want to point to it. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you want to pick a climax or, or what you think the first climax point might be? Well, I think, I think the first one is, uh, maybe not the first now that I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this, but I think when Kermit's amnesia is over, and he is in the chair and he starts singing, look at me, here I am, right where I belong. It feels like, yes, and then they're going on stage and everything's okay. I think that's sort of a a moment. Um, I think so, too. The stakes definitely feel at their highest here. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Kermit, they're they're about to go on to start the show. Their star no longer remembers anything about his past life (laughs) or, or the show that they're in. Uh, Miss Piggy does what I what I believe is now considered the recommended uh, medical treatment for um, for amnesia patients, which is a karate chop uh, that throws the person across the room. Um, it restores his memory, and and the day is saved. Mm-hmm. You could make an argument that's the climax, but we've still got twenty more minutes of movie, right. and in fact, they start doing you know, the, the the Manhattan Melodies. And then it sort of feels like the climax is, it's not a tense climax, but the climax is, is the show going to be a big success? We know it's gonna. But, so we just get to enjoy this climax, which is going to be the thing that we've wanted to see is the Muppets performing on Broadway. Let's just let that happen and enjoy it. It is mm-hmm. a stress-free climax, but then there's one other moment that we could look at at the cli- as the climax, right? Which is and that? Well, is Kermit going to marry Miss Piggy? Is he or it, isn't he? I I mean I have questions about the legality of all of this. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I think Canon does too. Kermit Kermit thinks it was part of the show. Piggy thinks it was for real. So uh, that is that is erasure <laughs> of the intervening years where Kermit would guest star on a news show and someone would and Miss Piggy would call and say, "Kermie, are you coming home tonight?" <laughs> um, like they were married in this movie. Um, later on, they deny it, but but you know, like that that I think is press releases. That's right. Uh, that's not the real story. <laughs> but but the question is, like he's on the spot. Does he want to commit to a future with Miss Peggy? And the answer is, as it turns out, yeah, he mm-hmm. does. Um, and we don't really have much falling action. We know the show is going to be a big success because we see the audience's response to it. They, they're thrilled. Um, in fact, it, it's so strange because the shots in the church... I don't even understand how that church would be on stage. We may have moved to a second location, a la Tony and Tina's wedding, um, to to go to the church and 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 do it there. Uh, uh, but but the falling action is they're up in the credits, they're side by side, and then they give a long, passionate smoochies, and and we're happy, and we're yeah. happy because the Muppets are happy, and you can't be. You can't be unhappy if the Muppets are happy. That is just a rule. And that's the plot. Yeah, that's great. All right, well, let's dig into the character a little bit. I I think we've alluded to it a little bit uh, before, but I really think Kermit is, and the intimacy we get with Kermit in this movie, um, really, uh, it's different tonally than the the other pictures we've seen. And even, even, I mean... On the Muppet show, 
we get a lot of Kermit's exasperation. We get a lot of Kermit's problem solving, but we right. don't get we don't get the um, the angst, the the loneliness, despair. Because um, well, he never had to struggle. He always has his friends on the Muppet Show. Right, right, right. This is this is someone who we've never seen Kermit alone. Once he meets Fozzie in El Slizo Cafe. Mm-hmm. There has never been a time where Kermit has been alone in these movies. He's always had his support with him. Right, right. And this is the first time where he's like, if the dream is going to happen, I'm going to be the one to have to do it. I'm going to have to do it on my own. And that's a new challenge for him. Yeah. And it's also a challenge for the movie. Can the movie survive without all of the gang there? Can we just really do put a put a close, tight focus on Kermit for most of this movie? Well, I think the answer is yes. I mean, I think the, the answer definitely is yes. So, so the gang talks Kermit into taking the show to Broadway, and when it fizzles out, they all leave, and yet Kermit feels this incredible responsibility to make it. When they leave. Mm-hmm. They leave, but they tell him they still believe in the dream. Right. They just can't. They don't. I mean, really, you know, you can question whether or not Kermit sees through why they're leaving. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like, where do these job offers? They all got job offers all at the same moment, all at this diner. Uh, you know, but but they, they make it very clear. Sell the show and we're coming back. We believe right. in the show. We believe in you. Mm-hmm. But we are not the ones who are going to. We're we're in the way. Yeah, we're we're you know we're dead weight. We're dead weight at this point, right? Um, um yeah. Although he so, does say to Piggy, Piggy, even you, even yeah. you are going, and right. and you can see she is struggling with it because mm-hmm. she knows it's the right the right thing to do is to leave. They, but but her heart belongs to Kermit. Yeah, I mean. I, I think it's interesting too that Kermit wrestles with um, whether or not he can be true to himself. Um, he has two masquerades. He kind of starts yes. plotting, plotting in similar ways that Piggy does. Um, Piggy's kind of a plotter, but but he's doing that now, and so he's got two masquerades, and he starts to feel like a phony, right? And just as his ship comes in with this new producer, he gets hit by a taxi and gets amnesia. Uh, a la an affair to remember, uh, right? I mean, there's a lot of if you've seen. No, the 19- when when we talk about an affair to remember, we say a la the Muppets take Manhattan. Let's let's. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, affair to remember. I don't care about first. chronology. I don't care. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. So I he you know Kermit when he has amnesia is also in a different kind of masquerade. Um. And that masquerade is even more intense, but he's with his kind of people, our frogs, right? Um, they're all stoic. They're funny. They're by the book. They're, um, they're not funny, though. They're, we're laughing at them, not with them. Right, right, right. Um, and it is the, I mean, they're like, it's like, it's like joking with engineers, right? Um if so, yes, it's yeah. It's I'm going to say "ouch" for Ron here, but yes. <laughs> but it's the zaniness of his friends um, that make Kermit Kermit. I mean, he is their leader, and 
And and I think it's that stoicism and by the book that makes his friends trust him with their lives. But when he gets amnesia, if he's back to his core self, right, he doesn't have a lot of depth. He doesn't laugh. He doesn't. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna respectfully yeah. disagree with you here. Andy. Okay. Okay. Um. So Kermit, midway through the movie, after he's done his two, like let let's play characters he has a crisis where he says to himself i'm worried that i'm becoming a phony and that i'm losing a sense of who i am right and then he gets amnesia and he does in fact completely lose his sense of self yeah so when he meets these other frogs he's like i guess this is who i'm supposed to be and he once again performs the role of being oh, a phony. Interesting. He watches okay, cool. them. You're right. He mimics them. He takes on the part he fits in. But you know what? His Kermitness is even before, even before the advertising um, people come to lunch at this cafe, uh, his Kermitness is peeking out. Of the four of them, he's the creative mind. When right. he's sitting in the restaurant, the music is coming out of him when he's hitting the glasses. Ba-da-da-da-da. And even though everybody else is in the other booth, one of them hears the clinking and just goes, together again. And, uh, like, he's camouflaged in mm-hmm. role. It's a, and he's become a phony. Right? Uh, but he's still there deep down. Yeah. Okay. He's still, right. and the dream is still there deep down. Let's dig into uh, Miss Piggy's character a little this bit. This is my favorite movie with Miss Piggy in it. I, I think she's better here than she is in the other two movies. Mm-hmm. She's. A, uh, she's. I, I don't think she has as much to do as she did in the Great Muppet Caper, uh, but I think her, uh, her jealousy. <laughs> is uh, unparalleled, I think, especially with the love triangle with Jenny or her perceived love triangle, right? She um, she can't leave Kermit. Miss Piggy's struggle is she was forced to abandon Kermit, but she never really did. Right. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. He does, she knows he doesn't know that she left he, she knows he thinks she's been faithless, but in fact, she's close. She's, she's the one who's kept, kept close and w- wants to make sure that he's okay. And mm-hmm. she's not, she's not trying to step into the spotlight here. She's right. watching from afar to like act as like a guardian angel for her frog. This is the first movie where like if given a choice between her ambitions and her dreams and Kermit, I know that Kermit is more important to her than her dreams. To the point where when Kermit does not, like, starts making fun of her and talks about the bouncing baby figs and and that she could bring home the bacon, um, her response is, cancel the show. If we don't have Kermit back, the real Kermit back, I don't care about the show. I'm mad I don't have my frog. Mm-hmm. Like she chooses him over fame. And yeah. and in the first in the first movie, she's always choosing fame over him. And in the sec and in the second movie, uh, like she's in role. She's playing the role of Miss Piggy receptionist to Lady Holiday. Right. But 
but how much of it how much of it is truly her i don't know but here this is this is her at her most vulnerable mm-hmm. and uh she's still strong well and of course she's still funny because she's not so stealth i mean the the you know she's watching from the window across the street which i think is just genius and she's she's watching with the construction workers and she's you know she's but she's also got this strength that we see you know when she takes her roller skates and goes after the mugger right in central park here's and the we get other to see bit an, of we get to see an intimacy in her that i agree that we we've not seen before here's the other bit of growth with miss peggy uh-huh she becomes friends with jenny when the Muppets come back, she introduces them to everybody. And she goes, this is Jenny. Jenny's our friend. Right? Well, she, Jenny's she my is friend, a, right? Jenny's my friend. You know? And, like, for the first time in, in I've ever seen her have a real friendship with another woman. One mm-hmm. she used to think of as a rival and is able to say, what, what's between me and Jenny has nothing to do with Kermit. Mm-hmm. We are actually, we're actually friends. How great well, is that? It's awesome. Let's talk about Jenny. Um, she is a good friend to Kermit. Um, she's adorable. She's great in this movie. And she's she's so excited to... I mean, she believes in Kermit right away. And she, she gets excited. She gets excited. You know, and Kermit wants to include her in this. She's excited about the opportunity. And I think that's, I think that's super fun. Um because she she's another dreamer. Yeah. yeah. Dreamers recognize dreamers. Yeah. And dreamers don't compete with dreamers. Dreamers right. just help each other make their dreams come true. That's they are, right. they are, I wouldn't say soulmates, but they're kin. Yeah. They're soul kin. They both have big dreams and they can both succeed at their dreams, but they can help each other do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I actually like that this isn't a real love triangle. Yeah, me like, too. C- Kermit and Jenny just are quick, close friends yep. who get each other and can talk to each other like real people and be vulnerable without there being even any romantic tension between them. I love that. I love that, too. All right, Fozzie. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm just going to say this, Larry. If there's, any, if there's anything sadder than Fozzie alone with his teddy bear on a freight train... I don't know what I don't want to know what it is. I really they know don't. it. They know it. That's why he's uh-huh. the one we, we see all of their other heads superimposed on him, but yeah. he's the one we end on. I think what this movie really recognizes about Fozzie, and uh, I will acknowledge my Fozzie Bear, um, my Fozzie Bear ride or die uh, <laughs> love here. So I am biased, but I think yeah. I think what I'm saying is true. Is he is speaking all of the subtext? In this movie, he's just getting Mm -hmm. to the emotional truth. When they're all together at the beginning of the movie, they're like, we should go to Broadway. It'll be a big deal. And then Fozzie says the thing that nobody's saying. If we don't do this, Kermit, then we go our separate ways and we say goodbye. That's right. For for Fozzie, he's saying what they really want to say is they just want to be together. They just want to be a family. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And so much of saying goodbye is, you know... Is Fozzie in 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 that song? Like it's not really his song; it's all of their songs. But but he's highlighted in it. Uh, but he's the one who gets the line, you know, the the lines that just are like uh, at the end where he goes, "Wanna sigh, wanna cry, saying goodbye." 
right? Right, right. We we end on we end because he's the one who's emotionally honest. Can I tell you my other favorite Fozzie moment? Sure. Okay. So Kermit has sold the show. Pig, Piggy has thrown out the postcards to everybody. Mm-hmm. And one by one, the Muppets get the postcard and go, he sold the show. He did it. We're going to Broadway. Each of them says that, except Fozzie. Fozzie looks up at his postcard and what he says, Kermit needs me. Mm. It's not about the show. Kermit yeah. has put out the call for family mm-hmm. and Fozzie is going because he's needed. And there's not enough Fozzie in this movie, but that's mm-hmm. okay. That's okay. Um, it's not, this movie is not about him the way the other movies are more about him. But he's he's there in a, he's, his emotional journey is very present to me. My two favorite Fozzie moments uh, in this movie are one line he has that we he says, "I don't take rejection well." None of them do. He's no. the one who voices it. Yeah, he says it. Um, and then, of course, he when he's in trouble in Maine and hibernating, and Beth wants to snuggle. Um, his first line is Kermit because <laughs> like, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do, and he needs his buddy to tell him. And the person that he goes to when he doesn't know what to do isn't is there. Kermit. That's right. That's right. And speaking of those little vignettes, I think the letters home are hysterical. They're amazing. I think I think uh, Scooter at the movie at the- theater is great. I love I, Rolf when when Rolf when they say like do you you know like when the guy says to him you're like she prefers the rubber Wall Street Journal to the rubber Washington Post and and Ralph just goes don't, don't we, we all, all. <laughs> I I die every it's time. a great and he tells him to sit and he sits I mean it's hysterical yes. and stay um, I also like uh, the Dr. Teeth and, and the Electric Mayhem at the German performing at the German beer hall and yes. saying and saying what a you know what a great ride it is. I think that's a hoot. Um, I the whispering campaign is so funny, um, which is a separate vignette. I mean, it's not really a vignette, but it's one of the masquerades that uh, I think the no, rats. fun the rats I mean, there are great little scenes throughout this, so we don't lose the fun of it. No. It's just really balanced with like better story, better story, and it and it really is drawing from the show, which mm-hmm. is that we're going to show you funny scenes, we're going to take you to funny places, that mm-hmm. we're going to piece them together to make a story. But mm-hmm. like this is what the Muppets do best is they yeah. they they bring you they bring you to a location and they do a bit there. And, right. Oh, it's so it's so good. Well, if you look at the Muppet Show, right, we have kind of this backstory that's always happening back, you know, behind the scenes, and then we get these vignettes, and so we're sort of used to that pattern from them, and so it works. It's great. Uh, I agree. I uh, agree. But we get to see a new character here in Rizzo. Yeah, I mean, Rizzo existed on The Muppet Show. We we saw him in a diminished capacity in The Great Muppet Caper as one of the bellhops at the Happiness Hotel. Mm-hmm. But Rizzo really comes front and center here. Um, partly, I think, because they really want to show off their new puppetry tricks, what, what right. they can do with these smaller rat-like puppets. Um, but maybe Rizzo sort of symbolizes, like, the cynical world of New York, right? Mm-hmm. He's the Muppet who's not a dreamer. He's the opportunist. 
Uh, he's trying to make money. He's 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 a hustler. Yeah, he, he's a hustler. Maybe he's like the bad role model for Kermit in this movie. If you he he, he posits a philosophy of if you want to survive in the city, this is what you got to do. You got to hustle. I mean, and I you also yeah, and and his dream isn't super big. Well, I mean, maybe it is a big dream for a rat to want to work in a diner. <laughs> maybe that's a huge dream, but um. Has yeah. any, I mean, you know, Rat Tattooey may may draw its roots from this movie. He, Very, he's trailblazing. Yeah. He's trailblazing have, a path Remy will one day follow. I have always wondered that. No lie. Um, the minute I saw Ratatouille, I thought of Rizzo in this movie. I love the line Pete gives where he's like, people were complaining about the rat serving food, so I put them in the kitchen and now everything's fine. <laughs> Pete's fantastic, and, yeah. and that just that whole uh, the 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 human world. Uh, we get to see Pete. We get to see lots of. Um, we get the the cop. We get uh, uh, Ronnie and Bernard Crawford and their interchange with each other, and so we very quickly know what kind of people they are. I think it's. I think it's just great. I think, I think great. so too. Yeah. I think so too. I'm it a all big blends fan together. of this. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, do we see protagonist problems in this movie? It's not a protagonist problem so much as it is a pro, pro protagonist story issue that I think they deftly handle, which is there is a brief part of this movie where Kermit is no longer the protagonist. Mm -hmm. uh, the Muppets have come back to find their leader and he's gone. And in a very real way, they're juxtaposed with what happened at the beginning of the movie. At the beginning mm -hmm. of the movie, the Muppets all left Kermit. Yeah. And now Kermit's missing. Kermit's left the Muppets and they have to find him and bring him back to his dream. And uh, I, I, I think there are sequences where we're like, whose movie is it in this scene? I think in those scenes, it's probably Miss Piggy. I th you know. Uh, you know, I just it just occurred to me without that protagonist problem, we have um what I like to call in a movie a little red hen problem. Um I, I don't know if you know that folk tale of the little red hen and she's she finds a piece of wheat and she says, Oh, who's gonna plant the wheat? Right. Andy, and not I, not I, not I, I not I. Okay. I know okay. the Donald Duck version, right? Okay. The wise sure. little hen. Yeah. Okay, sure, sure, sure. But it is I mean I think of that a lot. Like Sometimes if you have a protagonist and they're doing so all the work and everybody else just kind of gets to be a passenger on the plane, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't be, it feels unfair or can feel unfair. And I think in this moment, by giving Kermit amnesia, we get to see Fozzie saying, Kermit needs me. We get to see Piggy like stand up for him and want him, you know, like they're invested in this too. And those little, it's their redemption. Those, now, yeah, yeah, he carried them. Now they're going to carry him. Exactly, exactly. And so it feels more. So the payoff feels more fair and earned by everyone, yeah. and not just, oh, Kermit, you're you're so great, and you you know because because ultimately good things happen in community, and Kermit can't do this all by himself, and they can't succeed all by themselves in their separate locales, right? And it's when they're together that they're their best people. Yes, when they're together again. That's right. Yes. That's right. Um, let's talk about music, um, all written by Jeff Moss, who incidentally was the first head writer and composer and lyricist for Sesame Street. 
And there are some real hits on Sesame Street, and I, I have no doubt that we can attribute them to him. Well, Jeff Moss um, writes Rubber Ducky and um, some Oh, I love the, Rubber yeah. Ducky. Yeah, and you can hear, I think you can hear the same influence here. Uh, what I think is particularly fun about this movie is I think it corrects the problem from The Great Muppet Caper. In mm -hmm. The Great Muppet Caper, my complaint was the Muppets don't sing enough. They get professional singers to come in and sing songs, and uh, mm -hmm. it's not as much them. Here it's almost always the Muppets singing, if not always, right? They're always singing the songs, and that's what we want from a Muppet movie. Right. We want to see them performing. We want we we want the songs. We we don't. That's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. We're we're not we're not here to watch a dubbed Charles Grodin pretend to sing and never know who sang that song. Right. 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 We want it. We want to see the Muppets front and center, and the songs are fun. There is only. One song about Kermit's love for Miss Piggy. One, not three. That's right. fine. And it's actually Miss Piggy's love for Kermit. It's it's the Muppet Baby song. Mm -hmm. It's so fun. Uh, I, I And I love how in that song, even in the background, the rest of the gang is there. And Fozzie's constantly going, waka, waka. And like, in, it, as, right, as like right, part right. of it. Um, it's, it's every song, even the sad songs are a joyful celebration of the Muppets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, every song is filled with love and joy and wonder, without exception. And they're without all very exception. sticky. If you can watch this movie and not have together again in your brain or saying goodbye in your brain or somebody's getting married in your brain, I, hats off because I, this has been in my head now for <laughs> quite a while. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, we literally that this was the mixtape we played back at my wedding, like like somebody's getting married. I mean, it's, uh, it's it, I love the music in this. I no notes. I mean, musical notes, but no, no, no complaints uh, here. No, oh, it's so great. So great. Yeah. So, Larry, I have a bit of a game. I usually do a pitch, but I think it would be fun if we did a pitch storyline for Manhattan Melodies. What if if we were going to um, put this cast in a new musical or a new Broadway sensation, what would we do? Are we are we saying we're taking the Muppet performers and we're putting them in a, in an actual uh, like like sort of like established Broadway musical? Like like we're doing Les Miserables and Kermit's playing Frog Val Frog? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> I or, mean, that, or that is a possibility. Or you can. You can try, you can go a different direction, but if you were going to, you were going to do a story with Manhattan Melodies and, and these guys, what okay. would that look like? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. Okay. I like this. I like this. So, uh, let, let's start by saying the musical Manhattan Melodies is actually, as much as I love the music from it, has a terrible plot. It's boy and a girl go to the city and they get married. Uh, there is no conflict in this musical. Um... Uh, the, the musical only lasts 22 minutes. Why did I pay for front row orchestra <laughs> seats? That was $300. Um, so if we're going to if we're going to do this, a little, obviously, like you could say the Muppets take Manhattan is Manhattan Melodies. You, you mm -hmm. put that into there. But let's go in a different direction uh, on this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to steal like a little bit of like maybe maybe um, crazy for you, uh, you know, like Kermit is called into Manhattan, uh, but he's he's actually pretending to be somebody else. 
Uh, there's a famous star who, who's been called to be on Broadway. That star can't make it. And Kermit, mm-hmm. through the magic of disguise and hoping hoping Miss Piggy will fall in love with him, goes and pretends to be that celebrity. And Fozzie oh. is his... Fozzie is his agent uh, who who's in a, on the gig, and there's all sorts of there's double doors and people hiding in closets, and and it is all it is all like Neil Simon farce all the way down. But <laughs> ultimately, Kermit gets revealed as Kermit the Frog. What I thought you were Nathan Lane, and um, and and you know. And gets his chance to actually perform on Broadway and win the heart of the girl he loves. That's that's what I'll do. What have you got from Manhattan Melodies? I have two. Yay! Um, so, so I think Manhattan Melodies should just go full throttle and take on an affair to remember with Kermit as Cary Grant, uh, Nikki Ferrante with with uh, Piggy as Deborah Kerr, Terry McKay, Gonzo in the Richard Denning role as Kenneth Bradley, Piggy's fiance, Jill the Frog as Kermit's fiance, uh, Lois Clark, maybe Hilda from The Muppet Show as Grandmother Janu. Ooh, deep cut. Uh, Very nice. Uh, Fozzie, I might beef up and I might beef up the Ned Hathaway role, but I mean, they've already lived this story, so why not take it to the stage? <laughs> love it. Love it. That's and that's like- a very you pitch. You're, you're a very classic movie person. <laughs> I, I love it. Well, and okay, so here's another me pitch. Um, there's another movie I really love called Dinner at Eight, and it was oh. made in it was made in 1933, so it's pre-code, meaning um, pre-Hayes code, which is a movie censorship code that comes out in 1934. But instead of being a high society story, I think it could be a musical set in Pete's Diner with a similar plot, with a lot of melodrama, you know, between relationships, but maybe without the tragic ending. I think the ending could be one of noticing friendship, being one of the, you know, friendship uh, as the most powerful force for overcoming uh, insecurities about yourself. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would so, do. Sounds good to me. I, li- I like both of these pitches. This was a, this was a great time. Uh, oh, yeah, what, agreed. What? What movie are we tackling next week, Larry? Next week, we are tackling The Aristocats. Ooh, I love that movie. Everybody wants to be a cat, Andy. That's right. That's one, that's, that's one of my favorites. So That's the only cat songs. that knows where it's at. That's right. For uh, sure. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? If you write us a review, we'd be so pleased. And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. You can tweet us at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner 6 or drop us a line in our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon. 